RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Time for our Legal Hub feature. Nick Kearney joins me again for Legal Hub. Hi, Nick. Good to have you back. Uh, morning, Paul, and morning to Okay, this the law is never dull, and um, uh, last week was super interesting, and it sort of kind of led to, um, well, plenty of people talking about the big topic that we we were talking about last week, and that was the uh, OIAs revealing that um, there were what looked like bulk exemptions in the, uh, it seems like the Ministry of Health anyway, COVID-19 exemptions. So we're, we're obviously need more clarification. We're trying to find out, someone can find out um, if uh, those exemptions were only for a short time or for a long time and, you know, the exact numbers and all of that. So, um, though, I haven't heard a peep on mainstream media. Have you, Nick? No, and uh, the interesting thing about uh, one of them, at least, I, I think, from the information that we discussed uh, last week was how opaque the uh, the wording of the um, OAA release was, and no one could really decipher uh, what it meant in terms of the number of, of, of exemptions granted and whether, in fact, there were 11,000 exemptions granted or whether, in fact, it was a certain number out of 11,000 that were applied for. So, um, you know, I guess by being opaque and a little bit vague, uh, on, probably on purpose, uh, the, the, the ministry and powers that be have allowed all this uh, chit-chat to continue, and may they continue to be opaque and vague. Yeah, because it keeps the chit-chat going. You'd think that um, it might be, uh, you know, if there's nothing in it or whatever, to clarify as soon as possible uh, so people don't keep on chit-chatting, right? So here's uh, the the number of, you know, I mean, I don't think they've got the actual number because you could apply, as we discovered last week, an organisation or a department or whatever could apply in bulk. Uh, just attach a list of names and these are people and uh, of course you know the the um, dr bloomfield or whoever actually granted them couldn't go through and individually um um add up all the people it would just it would just say well here's an application we'll grant them all because they couldn't they couldn't check off you know there's 150 people obviously they're not going to have the time to go through and check off each individual applicant yeah no way yeah. No, no way. And so they just they just took them all off. And then they granted as one application, I presume, uh, where in fact it's 150. But again, as I say, it's um, it's opaque and a bit vague and it's allowed uh, a, lot of, a lot of um, conjecture to, to, be, to be set forth uh, over the last week. And so what we've now discovered, uh, we, there's another OAA um, release that's been, been given. And this shows that uh, since November 2021, a total of uh, 6,410 temporary medical exemptions uh, were granted from a pool of 8,259 applications. And my oh, okay, yeah, my math, my math tells me that 78 percent. That's a pretty high, pretty high success rate. Uh, now these what they call TMEs or temporary medical exemptions lasted between a period of three and six months, uh, and the maximum they could last for uh, was six months, and it was actually possible. To reapply uh, again after the the, the six month period uh, okay. expired, yep. had, had expired, uh, you can only make the application on the grounds that the person was a mandated worker and met the specified uh, exemption criteria. And we'll come to that criteria uh, in a minute. Um, 
But criteria changed um, in March 2022 um, as developments occurred. So the original criteria uh, in November 2021 for granting uh, a medical exemption, and we don't know what industries these were. We don't know if it was educational, if it was health, or if it was customs or police. All we do know is that the number was uh, uh, 6,410 granted from 8,259 applications. Uh, and so the original criteria, interestingly, the first criteria that you could put forward as asking for an exemption from the vaccine mandate uh, was a COVID-19 infection. Uh, in other words, you know, uh, well, I've, I've been infected or I am infected, therefore uh, there's no there's no purpose or point in me having the vaccine. That would assume that there's some um, uh, credibility given then to natural immunity, right? It's kind of the sales of the argument um, that the ministry and, uh, and the other officials were putting forward around the time the vaccines were being administered, that, you know, natural immunity doesn't really work and these are better than natural immunity. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. And yet, and yet, the in March when the criteria changed, the OIA figures show, and wait for this, this is quite staggering, that in that specific criteria alone, COVID-19 infection, 5,600 exemptions were granted. Uh, so of a total of 6,410, uh, 5,684 uh, were granted because of a COVID-19 COVID exemption. So 5,684 uh, was the number uh, out of out of 6,410 uh, for the reason that the person who applied for the exemption had uh, a COVID-19 infection or had previously been infected. So, so that pretty much says that the ministry was happy to grant exemptions for people who had been infected with uh, COVID-19 uh, presumably on the basis that they thought that the vaccine was no longer necessary because of uh, natural immunity to the virus as a result of the infection. I don't think that's what we thought, though, from the public messaging at the time. They, they I don't recall that message being, you know, an official, <laughs> official message or well, official well, well, talking no, point. No, 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 not not through the official channels, but of course. There were other um, people in organisations, doctors even, trying to say, well, actually, natural immunity or herd immunity is actually a thing and could possibly work. Um, but not, you know, and this is almost, this these exemption numbers are almost confirmation uh, of, of that argument, really. Uh, but other ones, you know, obviously, uh, criteria, um, serious adverse event, uh, event to a previous dose, uh, myocarditis or pericarditis, uh, 43 under the first uh, lot of exemptions. Um, and this, yes, that's pretty much the other numbers, um, other high numbers there, really. Inflammatory yeah. Yeah. inflammatory cardiac illness, 23 uh, exemptions are there as well. So, uh, the, and the other thing about this is that a, a panel of experts made the decisions um, to exempt, and these included medical and nurse practitioners with expertise in immunology, neurology, pharmacology, medicine, uh, primary health care, etc. They did consult external experts as required. They made a recommendation to the Director General of Health, Dr Bloomfield, who then made the final decision to grant or turn down the application. Uh, the panel that um, reported to Dr Bloomfield was, was appointed uh, by him 
and, and comprised, uh, you know, an independent chair, a, a Maori health leader, and a registered health practitioner. But those names um, were uh, withheld under the OIA privacy rules. Why? Well, why would why would they be private? Why, uh, why would they be withheld? That we we should know who these people are, surely, and that that that's um, uh, I mean, that's part of the story, isn't it? Yeah, well, you you would think so, and there's been no you know, this the, the events of, of of the pandemic and the lockdowns and all that was simply the biggest you know one of the biggest things in this country's faced in thirty or forty years, and to have um, um, yeah, look, maybe there's an argument that look that these people were just asked to do a job. It's not fair to have their names made public and have them perhaps be the barrage of criticism. Uh, after they were simply appointed by Dr. Blimfield. Yeah, but that, but they're making decisions. Um, it seems in this case that um, that supports natural immunity as a thing. Yet that wasn't a thing for the average person. No, and I, I think you know, putting my lawyer hat on, they weren't really tasked with making a decision. They were tasked with making a recommendation to Dr. Bloomfield, who made the final decision. So perhaps because on that basis they were just recommending and they weren't decision making, that might be a reason to um, withhold their names. Uh, but yeah, the but, panel, but, yeah. sorry, yeah. Oh, I was going to say that, but the panel meetings were, were confidential, um, uh, and while they were the panel members were free to express their opinion in the, in the group, uh, they were bound to publicly support a course of action, uh, and, and were not able to publicly comment, um, obviously, on decisions um, as well. A bit like cabinet collective responsibility, I suppose. Yeah, um, again, these people, um, we need to understand, in this case, surely, who they're connected with, um, what their historic allegiances are. Are they aligned with the pharmaceutical companies or not? You know, because there is a revolving door situation in this. So, yeah. So, they, yeah, yes, that's true. That's true. Um, but the, the other interesting part that came out of the OAA was there was a specific group of people who were not able to apply for medical exemptions if they fell into a certain category. Uh, and these people were uh, those who otherwise had uh, negative experience with other vaccines in the past. Didn't matter in, in respect of this vaccine, simply because you reacted badly to rubella or measles or, or flu vaccine in the past does not mean that you would do the same with this one. So that, that was not a reason to be able to be exempt. Uh, disabled people with adequate resources to support safe delivery, people with disabilities, were a priority for vaccination and was certainly not an automatic reason for medical exemption. Uh, now, you'll love the next one, Paul. Pregnant people. Oh, people. Okay. Pregnant people. Does that include men as well? Well, pregnant people. Not pregnant women, but pregnant people. Okay. Good to know uh, that uh, everyone uh, could be that's pregnant. How the OIA, that's how the OIA report came back describing them as pregnant people. Uh, pregnancy uh, of these people uh, was not a valid reason for exemption in the absence of any other uh, in, uh, criteria. Uh, pregnant people were also a priority group. Yeah, and the birth rate, uh, live birth rate's gone down by 28%, so that worked out really well. Okay, good mm -hmm. to know. Um, it's interesting that myocarditis, pericarditis, and inflammatory cardiac illness weren't criteria in the second set of criteria. Um, am didn't I... Appear, didn't appear to me, no. So wh why would that be? Because 
I've heard and spoken to many people in the know that this is a, a massive consequence of taking this uh, vaccine, that um, there are um, sky-high uh, instances of that, yet it doesn't seem to be acknowledged in the reworked, updated criteria for some reason. For some reason, it dropped off after um, a few months because the second criteria uh, apparently came out in March 2022 and the first one, November 2021. So you're looking at a period of only five months. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but the, you know, but they must have known that there was a bump, yet that's now no longer a criteria. No longer a reason for exemption. That doesn't make yeah. sense No, to no, me. it doesn't make sense. No, to me, me neither. Yeah. Um, but the, so the, these exemptions were... Uh, what are called TMEs or temporary medical exemptions. They, they are distinct and different than the ones we discussed last week, which were the ones that were categorised as being um, SSDs or significant yeah. service disruption exemptions for an industry which, you know, if you did not have an exemption, there would be significant service disruption to the country's economy. Uh, and that's and that, and that one there is different. And, of course, last year, we did, we, uh, last week, I should say, we discussed a total of 478 applications for SSDs uh, were received, uh, 103 were granted, covering approximately 11,005 workers. And that is where the um, the vagueness and opaqueness uh, exists. So, um, uh, and it, you know, the OAA says it's not possible to provide the exact number of workers that were covered by SSDs, and this is because it was possible for an organisation to submit an application to cover more than one worker. Uh, so but covered, were, were, they, they would total, though, the number of workers in that application, in the application, wouldn't they? Well, and maybe the 11,005 is the total number of workers that were covered under all of those applications. Um, and, and the thing is, if 103 applications were granted, um, you know, um, one of those applications could cover two workers. So really, it's an application that was granted, but it covers only two workers. Uh, and yet the next application that was granted might cover 500 workers. Yeah. So, so um, you've got one application covering two and one application covering 500. Um, and so what what's, you know, last week's OAA said was co was covered approximately 11,005 workers in total. So as I say, very opaque and very vague. And... Uh, it's, it, it certainly cries out for some more very specific direct um, OIA requests to go in. And perhaps somebody, you know, uh, from the ministry, um, although I might be holding my breath on this, but perhaps somebody from the ministry or uh, the, even the minister or somebody to come and explain uh, the numbers and what they actually mean to just avoid uh, a lot of, um, dare I say it, misinformation for yeah. Okay. So this five thousand. Sorry. No. As you were, this uh, six thousand um, total that we're talking about. I'm just trying to find the exact number in front of me here. Um, but that that's in addition to the eleven thousand and five. Is it? Okay. So this is starting to get bigger now, and it's and it seems. Uh, did I miss something or not when you said that um, these uh, temporary um, uh, exemptions could be rolled over? Again, is, is that what you said? After six months, they could be rolled over again. You can re reapply after six months. Reapply. That, that, that's right. That's right. So they so, could end up just being a a long term exemption under that basis, potentially. 
that if they're granted. Be, yeah, that could be a perpetual exemption, I suppose. It's keeping you in them every six months, yeah. Okay. And back to that SSD, um, to have a, some sort of major effect, um, disruption to the economy, how could health administrators disrupt the economy to that level? They don't seem to be big players in the economy to me. I mean, it's not as if they're milking the cows and, you know, making the the, the milk powder. So um, No, I assume that if the exemptions weren't granted, for these uh, health workers to not become vaccinated, uh, there wouldn't have been anyone in the hospitals, I presume. You yeah, but I mean? that, but but, uh, but nurses and and other staff were made. Those are the ones you want in the hospitals. And, and, and I guess again, this is just speculation. But but if these uh, if these health professionals, nurses, and the like, uh, if, if a large proportion of them did not want to take the vaccine, and they said, "Well, you either exempt me or I can't work." Uh, you know, it would have been absolute bedlam in the hospitals because he would have had, um, you know, half half the care workers not being able to attend to patients. Well, they've so been pretty quiet about it because we've spoken to a lot of, um, you know, people related, nurses, people related to the um, representation of nurses, et cetera, and no one's ever said anything about this. You know, it's followed, I'm just uh, reading a bit further on, um, that a second OIA uh, revealed that, um, in, in terms of the SSDs, on the 5th of August, there was an OAO request asking for a breakdown of the SSD exemptions by DHB and by the role. Yeah. Uh, and the response revealed that a total of uh, 6,705 exemptions were granted across 20 DHBs, uh, all of which now have been subsumed into one, you know, Te Whakaura, um ministry, uh, you know, Health New Zealand or something it's called. Uh, and the exemptions were provided for the following roles. So here's a bit of detail. Administration and management, 1,335 out, out of 6,705. 6, okay, that's a, a, a significant chunk. Okay. Yep, yep. Care and support, 1,490. Nurse slash midwife, 2,474. Uh, doctor, surgeon, house surgeon, etc., etc., medical officer, registrar, 350, allied health, technical science or other uh, research officer, uh, 1,057. Okay, that's interesting. All yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So reasonably big numbers there. Yeah, but we didn't hear about nurses and, the, you know, the who else? There were some doctors in there, medical technicians. Um, we didn't hear... That they've been able to achieve these exemptions. That's never really been no, talked about. No. no. So no, why no. would that be? So they were told to say, "Don't say anything." Um, don't. Oh, don't no, it, no, no. I think. Well, obviously, we were. They were. In fact, they were told to to get two shots, get boosted, and get take part in the vaccathon. That's what they were told. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. if you didn't do it, you lose your job. And they all said, "Well, bugger that. Can I please be exempt?" And six thousand seven hundred five times they were. Um, and yet, you know, other, other people in the country were, um, you know, not so lucky, I suppose. So there must have been groups that bandied together yes, and said, no, we're not taking this. But, again, we never heard. No one's no, ever talked about this. No. In fact, the groups themselves, no one, you know, you're right, Then there's been, I don't know, intentional kind of um, uh, silence or whether they were gagged intentionally, I don't know, yeah. Because you'd think that... Um, 
you know, the um, the colleagues um, of of the nurses who were mandated would be to take them as an example would have been very vocal in their support for that, yeah, especially yeah. if they had achieved that. Yeah, and and you know, you, you wonder whether I guess I guess you wonder whether some of them said, "Look, I'm going to go to the media with this information," and the media said, "Look, oh, that's not interested." Right? And maybe they couldn't get it out there. And of course, there were organisations, you know, like like VFF and others who tried to put it on websites that were shut down. And then we know the DIA did backdoor entry into Facebook pages. Um, you know, and, and we know that uh, the Prime Minister at the time, Ardern, was in direct communication with DIA on censoring, um, you know, COVID-19 yeah. misinformation. So perhaps they tried and perhaps they failed. So I'm um, just looking at these numbers again. If we know now that, we know now that for the SSDs, uh, there were, um, going back to the numbers again, uh, 103 applications were granted covering approximately 11,005 workers, okay? So we now know that 6,705 people uh, were granted because that includes, uh, for example, care and support, 1,490 people in care and support. So those are specific numbers in terms of the uh, actual yeah, number of people. So... I think you're looking at these numbers now, 11,000, covering 11,005 uh, workers. Um, you, it's almost safe to assume that of the 11,005 workers that were covered in the applications or, or fell under the applications, 6,705 of them uh, received exemptions. Uh, and uh, my calculator says that 61% of, of the applications that were applied for uh, were successful. It's a reasonably high number. Okay, so let's clarify again. So the the 6,000 figure that we are talking about now um, is a subset of the 11,005. So they're the successful exempted. Uh, it, 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 it appears to be, it, it appears to be because... Uh, the information we got last week, the OAA we got last week, was on uh, health. The health workers, full stop. Right. Okay. And, and yep. that was, and it, and it covered eleven thousand and five. It seems about right, um, uh, because there's a, there's a lot, lot of people employed, and uh, obviously in health across the country, and health and health health stretches, you know, in a lot, um, you know, hospitals, backdoor uh, job, back entry jobs, you know, backroom jobs, um, health ministries, and and other, you know, support labs and bits and pieces, bits and pieces yep. like that. So yep. um, we're not just talking doctors and nurses and surgeons. Um, and the OAA that gave this exact data of, of 6705, the question was, please provide a summary list of all the DHB, District Health Board staff, that were provided um, um which DHB area they covered, what department and role they were in, and the reasoning for the exemption, gender and age, would be helpful. Thank you. And so that's DHB, District Health Board staff, and that's 6,705. So that's District Health Board. Um, the number uh, in total was 11,005, and so presumably there's still uh, a fair amount left over between those two numbers and other branches of the of the health service as a whole. Right, I got you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Potentially, um, yeah, receives an exemption. It's interesting because um, a while back, 
I interviewed someone from, I think, the nurses' union, and uh, they were at the time calling for, you know, pay rises and um, um, the st- stemming the um, hemorrhaging of nurses to overseas. And um, I put the question to her, you know, what about all those <laughs> mandated nurses? And she kind of played a bit dumb on that, like she hadn't thought it through. That was what I picked up on. Anyway, I'm thinking the union would have been aware of this, right? It had to have been. I mean, it would would be advocating for these um, workers to to be be exempt. You'd have to think that if they were doing their job. Yeah, well, even if it came through anecdotally, they must have known that there were a whole chunk of them that had achieved exemptions. I'm just thinking, I could be wrong, but, you know, it's all a bit cloak and dagger, it seems. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's just, um, the, the truth will, I guess, maybe we say the truth will always come out. Uh, and, and at the moment, it's, it's slowly now coming out through through the OAA. So uh, while we're talking about OAA, um, yep. shall we move on to the next topic? Yeah, let's do that. Right, so the OAA, the Official Information Act, is you know while it's a handy tool, um, it's got its it's got its critics and it's got its drawbacks. And um, you know if if you don't like the response you get from a certain ministry, uh, you, you know your appeal, uh, if that's the way to put it, is to go to the ombudsman's office, um, and the ombudsman sometimes um, will tell you to go back to the ministry and ask again or reframe the question or something. Um, but it can cause huge, huge delays. And uh, we've got another example where there was a question asked um, uh, in an OAO request or a number of questions asked around the representation of New Zealand at the World Health Assembly gathering in Switzerland um, who, who represented New Zealand? Uh, what were their roles? Uh, did they have speaking and voting rights? Who appointed these delegates to go? Uh, who is charged with voting for New Zealand as a World Health Organization member state? Uh, have the issues raised at the Assembly in Switzerland been discussed in Parliament? Uh, and there was a further question um, to supply reports, emails, and memos to and from the New Zealand delegate at the Assembly and to and from the government agencies and politicians relating uh, to the Assembly. Now, that request uh, was made on May the 23rd uh, this year. It was sent to the uh, Ministry of Health here, uh, obviously, in in New Zealand. Uh, May the 23rd on June the 1st. And since there's been no response to that information whatsoever, uh, a week or uh, so later, um, uh, a, a complaint or a you know a, a, an email sent off to the ombudsman office reminding them to please follow up with the ministry. A complaint was lodged about the Ministry of Health's lack of reply on the July the twenty on July the twenty first. Uh, and bearing in mind that on May twenty third, the answer uh, the questions were posed, and now we're talking two months later. Uh, on August the thirtieth. You're looking at three months and, and, and a bit more uh, and some change later. Uh, the ombudsman, um, the ombudsman replied, thank you for your complaint. It's currently awaiting allocation to a dedicated investigator. 
it will be allocated as soon as possible and once allocated to the investigator, this investigator will contact you directly to discuss the next steps. That was August the 30th um, this year. Uh, following that, on September the 21st, the um, OAA questioner, person who made the request, made a phone call to the ombudsman asking for an update. Uh, couldn't get hold of anybody. <laughs> and October, October the 3rd, another phone call to the ombudsman uh, who, who, and somebody actually on the other end of the phone said, look, thank you for your continued patience as this matter progresses. Your case has been assigned or has been reallocated, I should say, reallocated. Reallocated, oh, reallocated. So, okay. So they, yeah. they allocated initially and then and then they reallocated when it gets all gets too difficult, I suppose. Uh, so the Official Information Act requires a response within 20 working days of receiving the request. The request was made on May the 23rd. There has been no response. The request is now when a complaint has now been made to the Ombudsman. Here we are now on the 10th of October, uh, and we're still having to, you know, the party who made the the request is having to uh, find out at the um, Ombudsman's office who this reallocated investigator is and when they will ever get a response. Well, now, it says assistant investigator, presumably the assigned investigator was more senior. The, the initially assigned one, because then you've got an assistant. Um, yeah, potentially. But we found, we knew last week with that topic we've, we've just discussed um, a few minutes ago on the SSD exemptions, that, that originally went to um, uh, the Ministry of Health, I think it was, and they waited the, the, the bog standard 20 working days before replying and saying, actually, it's the wrong ministry. It should be going to um, you know some other ministry. I'm not sure which one. They could have done that in one working day. Well, correct, but of course they wait the twenty working days out. Uh, say sorry, it's um, it's the wrong ministry. Perhaps we'll send it over to the other ministry. Would you like us to do that? And of course, the person who makes the request that would be fantastically helpful. Thank you. And they do that, and then that restarts twenty working days again. Yeah, here we so, go again. Yeah, here right. we go again. And and of course, the problem with all of this, really, one of the main problems is by the time the actual information is released and is in the hands of the person who requested it, uh, the, the original topic uh, or issue becomes a little bit um, stale in the eyes of the public, you see. And, yeah, yeah. and so these people know that delay is, is a good thing because the newspaper headline tomorrow will be something different and uh, people will forget about, you know, SSD exemptions and other, but, but it's up to, I guess, this radio station and, and the like and others, you and I, to actually keep reminding them. Well, it makes a mockery of the whole, the whole thing, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, it's a game we play more than anything. Yeah, and, and, it, and it shouldn't be a game. And in fact, I'd be appalled if uh, you know officials at government department levels were treating it as a game. But it does appear when you see uh, some of the stuff that's come out um, during this government's reign um, and the way they've tried to obfuscate around the Official Information Act, and they've actually held. Um, you know, um, workshops. How uh, you know on how to avoid questions and delay questions. So this is one of the you know cornerstones of I think of obviously a, a functioning democracy. Um, it's a, it's a very handy piece of legislation, uh, and it's very easy to make an OAO request. You can just go online. You can have it done in two minutes. Yeah. And and to have the the delays and the obfuscation and everything is. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty... pretty well, well, you wonder if they take people seriously. Not quite the same, but, you know, we found out in the last few days or so what the Pharmac people were writing about Rachel Smalley behind the scenes. 
yeah, not I, nice at all. This, this you know, I wasn't, she's, I wasn't going to mention that, but I, I that was I, I had the same thought as you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's like um, what's the word? It's sort of a some kind of mockery and um. Well, they, people forget who, who actually they're working for, and, and I think they think that, in fact, uh, they're the boss and we're the servants. When in fact, you know, it's actually the other way around. You know, uh, yeah. I'm the boss and they're my servants, and, and the fact the taxes I pay allow them to have a job, uh, and and so you know, um, but as I say, I think this whole attitude of who's in charge, who, who, who's the servant, who's the employer, who's the employee, it, it has just gone completely um, ass about face. Um, and, and we saw it, and, and again, we saw it. Look, we saw it. Uh, in, in my view, um, no, at no starker level than during the parliamentary protest when politicians were sitting up there in their ivory chambers, not just uh, turning on sprinklers and playing loud music, but there was another one, another politician on the other side of the spectrum, um, political spectrum. That is. Uh, Taking photos and constantly put them on his Facebook or her social his social media page with smart 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 aleck comments about you know these um, ragtag bunch of people at the front which they just go away you know and and it's it's just disheartening it's like well actually you know um, you serve these people not the other way around yeah where do you get an attitude like that yeah where does that come from yeah. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. All right, well, that's uh, that's really interesting. Where do we go next? Well, last week we spoke. Uh, last week we spoke of the law that was passed in California uh, that was uh, put in place to uh, prosecute medical practitioners there who spoke out against uh, COVID nineteen and the vaccine and, and everything like that, and and uh, that law was challenged. In California, and it was um, the challenge was successful, and the California legislature uh, passed a bill um, very sort of sneakily to repeal that um, censure bill, if you want to call it that. Well, uh, the same thing, but on a smaller scale, has, has now happened uh, in America uh, again uh, in Washington, and in, in Washington uh, there was a retired, there's uh, an ophthalmologist, an eye doctor. Dr. Richard Eagleston, um, and he was um, being prosecuted by the Washington Medical Commission, uh, and the accusation they had against him was spreading misinformation about COVID-19. So um, I, I don't know exactly um, what, what he was alleged to have said, but that was the main charge against him. Apparently, if you're a doctor uh, and you spread misinformation, that you know that's... Um, I don't know what that misinformation can be if you're a doctor, because you know if you if you're a doctor and you say I don't think you should take the vaccine, I think natural immunity uh, would actually help you. And we now know that the, the ministry thought that was actually five thousand yeah, six hundred yeah. times was probably a good argument. We know that, yeah, we know that. Uh, you know, uh, but anyway, he he was um, uh, he was he was prosecuted. He he took he took the uh, Washington Medical Commission uh, to the uh, local court uh, there. Um, he, he invoked his First Amendment right to free speech um, and tried to have the motion kicked out of the court. Um, that was initially uh, unsuccessful. Um, he applied for an injunction to stop the prosecution. Again, that was unsuccessful. Undeterred, uh, Dr. Eagleston uh, went to the Court of Appeals in Washington 
which then awarded him uh, the injunction and halted and abolished uh, the uh, court proceedings uh, upholding his First Amendment rights to uh, to freedom of speech. So, uh, you know, his 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 lawyer um, uh, lauded the decision as um, quote very good news for all who believe that doctors should be able to publicly criticise uh, what he termed as COVID nineteen propaganda by the state. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, that, so that that was good news, another minor victory, uh, and it's slowly, you know, uh, and this is a. Uh, one of the one of the I suppose beauties about the American uh, legal system is they do have that very strong constitutional underpinning that um, those fundamental rights are upheld um, extremely uh, extremely strongly and you know we've seen it uh, a number of times now um, there from doctors so it's um, it's a good thing I know there's some debate I've read some feedback into the show here from a, a show we did into this show. From a um, an episode we did some weeks ago, somebody wrote in and a very a very nice, well written piece actually about why an entrenched bill of rights is not a very good thing. And they had some this person had some good arguments, and I can understand those arguments. But you know, uh, it's 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 um, it swings and roundabouts, I suppose, in America. You know, yeah, but but this um, doctor. Uh, Eagle, Eagleston, he still had to fight hard, though, didn't he? I mean, it, he didn't win it at the first. And he had no, to go all the way pretty well. Uh, absolutely. And I don't know the dates here. I don't know when they first... Um, oh, August 2022. So August 2022 was when the uh, WMC or the Washington Medical uh, Commission um, launched their disciplinary actions. So that was, yes, yeah, 14 months ago. Um, and, and actually, he was accused as doctor of... Um, uh, willful misrepresentation of facts. Okay. <laughs> They're so confident in what they say. Facts. Yeah, I mean, that... Willful, in other words, intentional. He intentionally yeah. misrepresented facts. Um, yeah. It doesn't say what those facts were that he intentionally misrepresented. Uh, but, yeah, you know, again, he, he, you know, he's got to he, – he's gone to court uh, three times in, in 14 months to try and um, fight for his right to basically be a doctor. Um, you know, and say, well, actually, I'm allowed to have a different view than the other doctors. Yeah, would that be possible here to achieve that result? I have no knowledge of, you know, I know we don't have a constitution like the US does, but um, you'd probably have to work that hard and harder here, wouldn't you, to get anywhere? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, I would suggest. In fact, you know, uh, some weeks ago we we discussed that uh, case of that Christchurch doctor who, uh, was facing the wrath of um, her disciplinary tribunal proceedings, which she never defended. Uh, and it appeared that all she uh, was doing was offering alternative uh, medicinal uh, views and, and alternative um, you know, treatments, I guess, for COVID-19. Uh, and she was absolutely um, slaughtered. And But she never defended them. And she lost her, um, lost her medical um, licence as a result. Oh dear! What a crazy time, and, and and the sort of the aftermath of it is is just as nutty in a way. Yeah, uh, well, uh, the, the fact is there is an aftermath, right? And, and it's and the aftermath is now starting to seep out. Yeah. So, the, by the way you talk, Nick, you think that in the end it's kind of all going to ooze out one way or another. What was that famous, uh, famous uh, line in Jim Carrey's movie, Liar, Liar? Have you seen that movie, Paul? Yeah, I have, but I'm going to have to 
the truth shall set you free. All oh, right, yeah, yeah, you know, maybe I'm too idealistic. He was in the courtroom. It actually was set in the courtroom that scene, and uh, he found some golden, um, you know, the um, smoking gun piece of evidence. Jim Carrey, and he, you know, famous scene: "The truth shall set you free." And I suppose that's, you know, if someone, maybe I'm too idealistic, but eventually we just keep soldiering on with OEA requests, getting the information out there, and just keep trying to educate the public. Perhaps the truth will set us free. Okay, and just to finish up, let's circle back to where we started from. So um, in the continuing process of OIAs on the initial um, subject that we were talking about, the exemptions, what do you think needs to, if you were to boil it down to a few bullet points, of what needs we need to know now and what needs to happen now, what would they be? So the main talking point out of this from what information has come out is, is that during the period of you know November 2021, for a period of maybe um, at least a year, when, when the government was telling everybody one thing, kind of on the other hand, they were um, doing other things, you, you know, and they were quite happy to um, uh, say that everybody you know needed to be double vaxxed and boosted and have your pass and your scanner and and um, and if you didn't do that, you're all going to die. And Jacinda saved 80,000 lives and whatever, whatever. Well, you know, they, they pushed that out there with regularity. The radio stations covered it, this huge propaganda campaign. And yet we know in the background people were saying, well, hang on a sec. Um, you know, um, I don't want to take it. And, and organisations applied on mass for exemptions and were granted exemptions. So there's, you know, I think the, the key thing here, from my perspective, is that uh, there was almost a um, a secret uh, program going on in the background, um, and and there's no way, there's absolutely no way that uh, if there were a total of uh, six thousand four hundred and ten temporary medical exemptions granted, that uh, from a total of eight thousand two hundred fifty nine applications, there's absolutely no way that uh, this panel. And Dr. Bloomfield uh, went through every single one of those people's applications, right? Yeah, yeah. There's just, there's just not enough time. Uh, there's not enough resources, and whatever. And that means they were just they were just granting them in bulk. Yeah, and and you got to wonder if it if it's uh, bigger than that. If it went to other departments, because after we um, had uh, the program last week, we got an email in just saying from um, a woman who said they were holidaying in the South Island and they were on one of those uh, bicycle trails and they came across a couple with children who were uh, doing that as well and started chatting and um, mentioned, um, the, the, the family mentioned that, you know, the father was a teacher and um, and the discussion came up about mandates. And um, if I remember the email correctly, and okay, I might, it's one email and that's all it is, but um, the the um, man revealed that he had an exemption. Um, they didn't need to wear masks, and they had an exemption from the um, from the vaccine. And uh, the person inquired, "How was that?" And he said, "Well, we're in the know." <laughs> so it seems th that there could be a possibility that it's bigger than just health. I, I think it's a, it's a very large possibility now. Yeah. 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 Very nice possibility.
Okay. All right. Well, interesting as always. That's our legal hub for this week. Thank you, Nick, for coming back. Hi, no, no, good to, good to be here. Have a good day, and um, we'll see you and hear you all again next week. We will. Thanks. All right. See you. And just on the end of our legal hub, um, it's worth noting that a March 2022 guidance was provided to change the criteria and supporting evidence for the temporary medical exemptions to include rat test results. A far greater number of exemptions were granted under the new criteria, largely by proving an active COVID infection. The number jumped from 685 to 5,725 under the new criteria using rat test results. Of the 5,725, 5,600 were granted due to rat test results. In the first criteria, non-placebo participant in a vaccine trial was the criteria granted the highest number of exemptions at 685. And that information has just come to us here at RCR. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.